Coming up on This Week in Games, Drake helps sets Twitch records, Toys R Us prepares for liquidation, and Xbox crosses the street, why? For a bigger venue. Coming up This Week in Games. Hi everyone and welcome to This Week in Games. I'm your host Eric McConnell and this week was jam-packed with game industry goodness. Let's get things started. Drake joins Twitch history by breaking records with streamer Ninja playing Fortnite. So Drake shows off his Fortnite skills on Twitch. Um, He joins this streamer who's subsequently taken over the entire like Fortnite um ecosystem his name is ninja so drake joins ninja to play fortnite peaks at 635,000 viewers this is the highest non-esports viewership in history i think the highest viewership is for one of the esports leagues um and it was 1.1 million but for non-esport and tournament related streams this is it and uh it blew out the second place um streamed by probably three hundred thousand. that was dr no respect i believe is his name so this is crazy um so tyler ninja blevins somehow got drake to join his stream and play fortnite together and he was broadcasting their audio and people were joining in well while he was streaming this he received ninety thousand new subscribers so for those you don't know, Twitch is a streaming platform where you Twitch live video games, playing, and then people commentate and sometimes put their own like physical image on the screen as well while they stream. And people can subscribe to a stream for monthly bonuses such as like special chat features, emojis, shoutouts, or basically whatever the streamer wants to provide subscribers to kind of give them exclusivity over regular viewers. So the 90,000 90, new subscribers nets him $250,000 a month in subscription fees. That's absolutely insane. If he actually kept all 90,000 subscribers for a year, this guy just instantly becomes a multimillionaire. That's, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to see the landscape of Twitch in the last few months because PUBG came in out of, I mean, to me, out of nowhere to take over Twitch and only was rivaled by major Counter-Strike and League of Legends tournaments. And then PUBG has since been dethroned by Fortnite. Now, Fortnite is uh, Epic Games' like builder zombie survival game, and they threw in a Battle Royale mode that's basically a clone of PUBG, and that has taken over. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people suspect... Epic Games of paying top streamers, specifically PUBG streamers, to switch over and start streaming Fortnite exclusively. And, you know, the fact that Drake randomly joined Ninja and broke all these records kind of adds value, maybe supports this theory. And for Fortnite, you know, the upside is you pay Drake, let's say, a million dollars to join Ninja on stream, you get all this publicity. Fortnite's now number one. When kids who don't, you know, maybe they don't have time to explore all these games or they don't know any better, they just go to Twitch, see Fortnite's the number one stream game, 
now they want to play Fortnite because now they're getting invested in Fortnite by watching people play it and stream it. And now Fortnite is the free-to-play, you know, most dominant free-to-play game on the market. So pretty interesting uh, kind of advertising tactics and pretty interesting that Drake would join in on this. And, you know, you can watch the stream if you want. Drake kind of like, it's kind of a PR part on his, or a PR like ploy on his part, you know, talking about how he's a vegetarian and he loves pizza and so on and so on. But you can check out the stream if you're interested in Drake's life. So next up, this is a kind of, it's kind of fringe game industry, but I wanted to cover it anyways. This is Toys R Us ends an era with this upcoming liquidation. So for all of you who remember, Toys R Us was a longtime standard for toy stores, sent out giant catalogs at Christmas. Um, as a kid, it was always a special treat when I got to go into a Toys R Us because my parents hated it. So it was nice when they bit the bullet and let me run around the store for like 45 minutes looking at stuff I couldn't afford. Um, so how did this happen? How did the number one toy store in America go from like king to liquidation well this happened nearly the kind of um let's see what analogy should i use the snowball that grew into an avalanche started 12 years ago when toys r us was taken over through a leveraged buyout by a handful of pe firms now, for those of you who think what I just said is gibberish, I'll break it down. PE firms means private equity firms. Basically, these are um, kind of like investment bankers, but instead of investing in businesses to grow with that business, they're more interested in taking over businesses and selling parts off and then reselling the business. And they have large, large, large amounts of money to play with. So in this case, the PE firms were Bain Capital, KKR & Co., and Vornado Realty Trust. So a leveraged buyout means that these PE firms basically take out a giant loan and then saddle the company with the debt from the loan, effectively acquiring the company for next to nothing. Now, I, don't, I didn't dig too deep into this, but basically I do know that Toys R Us had a leveraged buyout and that it was paying like mountains of interest on the debt from the loan that these PE firms took out to pay for the company. So... Basically, if that didn't get you upset enough, in 2005, right before the buyout, Toys R Us actually had very little debt, almost no debt, in fact, which is pretty rare for retail giants these days. And since the buyout, Toys R Us, their operational income, meaning like how much money they pulled in every year and, you know, had to spend on um, kind of business expenses, their operational income has basically been destroyed by insurance payments on the debt from the buyout. And because of that, this led to pretty much no investment in operations or technology or innovations or any way for Toys R Us to stay relevant and compete with Amazon and, you know, any other e-commerce or retail giant that's still around. So effectively, Toys R Us hasn't evolved since 2005, which kind of makes sense because I haven't gone into Toys R Us since I was in probably middle school. Um, according to Bloomberg News, last year... Um, according, sorry, according to a Bloomberg news story last year, KKR and Vornado previously wrote down their investments in Toys R Us to zero, so bankruptcy didn't even affect their earnings. That's awesome. Good job, guys. So this is really depressing. Um, 
I have really good memories of Toys R Us like I went in earlier. I remember I bought, I saved up my money for a year doing side jobs and kind of odd job gigs to buy a Nintendo 64 and I bought it from Toys R Us and I still remember that. You know, you guys can't take those memories from me <laughs> anyways. But this this should reaffirm everyone's hatred for P firms. And uh, we got to stop this practice. It's just ridiculous that this stuff happens. So let's move on to slightly more interesting, less depressing news. Xbox rents the venue across from E3. This is pretty crazy. So basically, E3, the biggest uh, kind of consumer-facing um convention or show trade show for the game industry happens in los angeles normally sometime between may june and july i believe this year it's in july and it's where all the companies have press conferences and talk about the games they're releasing over the next year and have big surprises and so on and so on um it's actually the size of like three airplane hangars for any of you who've been there i've been there twice it's pretty ridiculous, and they are letting more and more consumers in, meaning that the line to even try any of these new games is now two to three hours deep. E3 historically used to be only for press and industry people, and now the line between what is press or industry person is so gray that pretty much anyone who can find one of those guides online on how to get free E3 tickets can get free E3 tickets. So back to the story, Xbox who normally probably has like a third of E3, the E3 floor space taken up from themselves, they're moving across the street for more space. So they claim this is going to be their biggest showing ever, and they'll still have a presence in the main venue in the form of a mixer booth to discuss their new streaming platform. To me, this is a bad sign for E3. So E3 was already known as kind of a race to spin the most, who can get the craziest setups you know back in the day it was all about booth babes and kind of like cosplay and giant castles inside this airplane hangar now we're more pc and more mature so we're beyond that but it's still about like you know who can make the most craziest booths with the most screens and draw the most attention and get the most stories written about them the following day this is a bad sign because now companies are saying hey us spending you know, tens of millions of dollars on E3 isn't enough. We want to spend $50 million on E3. So Xbox is doing this. And I ominously also suggest, not suggest, think that it's being done so they can draw in more fans. So fans don't even need E3 badges. And it's kind of, to me, it's very much like a bad sign of things to come. Because I can I can already like see this, you know, playing out a few years and then suddenly Sony has their own venue, Xbox has their own venue, PC companies have their own venue like Bethesda, and, you know, E3, they don't even bother with badges anymore and people just come in, you know, and it's just like kind of a Comic-Con on crack for the game industry. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? This could backfire in their face and, you know, might be a waste of money. Or it could prove to be so successful that people focus on the Xbox venue instead of the main venue. And I guess we'll have to find out in July. So coming up on the game industry news, I actually have an update for you guys. Um, I think you'll remember back in February, I talked about Eugen Systems. That's a French developer. They went on strike. Well, guess what? They're still on strike. This is unprecedented. 
I haven't seen a game industry strike, a game industry studio strike in a long time, more or less one that's been on strike for over a month. Pretty interesting. They claim that uh, little to no progress has been made. And back on March 5th, they sat down with the studio owners to discuss unpaid wages and breach of contracts and not meeting French um, minimum wage policies and so on and so on. Now, I'm not even going to try to go through the whole story now. Kotaku actually did an amazing write-up with multiple interviews. And if you guys are interested in the story, I suggest you head over there and read the interviews yourself. I'll keep you guys updated on just the overall story. I, I was surprised just to find out that they're still on strike. So uh, I'll let you guys know when that ends. All right, so let's get into the big news. Alibaba, that's one of the giant, it's kind of almost like, think of them like the Chinese Amazon. Alibaba is going to back nonviolent games for Olympics eSport bid. So Alibaba has been working with the Olympic Council of Asia to get eSports accepted as a medal event in 2022. That's amazing. However, the negative, their focus is only on nonviolent games. So these pretty much boil down to sports titles and car racing titles. Because if you think of... Any esports game from League of Legends to Counter-Strike to Street Fighter, Dota 2, PUBG, Fortnite, um, God, what else is there? Even Hearthstone could almost be considered violent. Then pretty much only leaves sports titles and car racing. So well, it'll be interesting to see what Alibaba does. It seems like from the stories I've read, Alibaba basically controls what sports get into this esports Olympic bid. And uh, since they have all the money and they're the one pouring money into it, I'm sure they will become the kingmakers who choose that. It'll be interesting if you don't have League of Legends or you don't have a fighting game or you don't have a first-person shooter because those are the three like MOBA, MOBA strategy, first-person shooter, and fighting games are probably the three most common esports games. So it'll be interesting to see uh, an Olympic bid without one of these three games. But, you know, I guess we'll find out what happens. All right. Next up, Google announces Agon, and that is a open source multiplayer server. So Agon was in development under collaboration with Ubisoft. Agon leverages, I'm going to butcher this name, Kubernetes technology, which allows a matchmaker to provision a dedicated server upon request. This allows for dynamic scaling when needed. So basically, normally when you have a multiplayer game, you have a matchmaker server and then you have like dedicated servers to kind of make games and host games. So the matchmaker may be on a rotation or using some other algorithm, assigns people dedicated servers to play the game. Apparently this technology allows the matchmaker itself to then kind of spin off a child dedicated server just for the game that it just matchmaked and then shut down that server and return the resources back to the matchmaker when the game's over. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but uh, it's from Google, so I'm sure it's legit and it's open source, so that's awesome as well. And I hope people start leveraging this and make videos so I can understand it easier. Um, let's move on. 
more Google news. Google opens up map data for VR, AR game developers. This is amazing. So Google Maps API is now integrated into Unity, turning real-world objects into game objects in Unity. This is great. So basically, before, Google was almost like a kingmaker in the sense that Pokemon Go leveraged Google technology because um, Niantic's previous game, whose name escapes me right now, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get flayed over this. What is their... Oh man. What was Niantic's game? Anyways, um, so Niantic leverages Google technology. Ingress, that's it. So Niantic leverages Google's map technology for their maps in the real world, but no one else could leverage that. And so if you wanted to make a real-world AR map-based game... You had to get one of the companies, Google, Apple, someone to allow you access to their API because you're not going to map out the world yourself. So this is great for all developers and pretty nice of Google to do this because honestly they could charge tons of money, but they're not going to. So good job, Google. Finally, Facebook Instant Games opens up to all developers. So Facebook Instant Games has been in beta for 18 months. Now it's open for everyone else. What Facebook Instagames is, is Facebook has a messenger platform, and this allows you to play games within the messenger platform. Um, it's similar to kind of like what you see in Chinese chat platforms, it's just WeChat. And right now in Asia, this chat platform game um, integration is very, very, very popular. And we'll see how it takes off in America. I personally don't see this working because I don't know how many people exclusively have Facebook Messenger up all the time and they're talking to people on it. And kind of that's the only way this works is that if you can get spammed by Messenger to return to the game for attention reasons or pay or whatever, then you're likely to keep playing the game. But if you're not using Messenger nonstop and you're not getting the push notice within Messenger to return to these games... I don't see people sticking with this. And there's already like a billion games on your iOS or Android app store. So I don't see this taking off. Um, that being said, there's currently 200 games on the chat platform right now. And I'm sure there'll be probably a million by the end of the month. So we'll have to just see how this platform goes. All right, business news. Uh, this is the worst. So I have an update on a story I ran last week where I was making fun of BitGuild. BitGuild is the company that wanted to use um, blockchain technology to give you digital ownership over your digital goods and games. So that if a rare sword dropped in World of Warcraft, you technically would own that game and that ledger would be around somehow to say that you own that, you own that sword even when the game was offline. So BitGuild raises $20 million in funding through their ICO. What's an ICO? It's basically a Ponzi scheme called an initial coin offering where new cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology offer tokens or the currency to the public for the first time and people buy them and the owners make tons of money and then leave and laugh at everyone. So either I'm an idiot, very possible, or... BitGuild is, you know, doing one of the options I mentioned last week, which is taking the money and running. I don't see blockchain coming to games right now because there's no compelling reason. And furthermore, 
if no game is leveraging BitGuild, then why would people spend all this money on it? It truly is at the point where anyone says cryptocurrency or blockchain and CTOs go crazy and just start buying up ICOs. I don't know. BitGuild claims they sold 75% of their public tokens, which are called PLAT, very creative, um, in their initial public offering. And I really don't want any more of these headlines that anyone who adds blockchain or cryptocurrency to their company name makes millions of dollars. So let's move on. Uh, We have something special. We have another Tencent acquisition of the week. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. So Tencent had two giant investments this week worth over a billion dollars. Basically, Tencent is investing in Chinese Twitch competitors, invested a billion dollars this week. Tencent dropped $632 million in Douyu, and Tencent dropped another $461 million in Douyu's rival, Huya. So Tencent's leveraging their investments, and they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars. This is absolutely insane, especially since Twitch only sold to Amazon for, what, one or two billion, and Twitch is kind of the prime marketer for this type of market. It's crazy that Tencent just doesn't even care and just going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars in Chinese rivals. So for Huya, Douyu's rival, the one that they spent less money in, the $461 million, Tencent also reportedly reserves the right to purchase the rest of the stock that it would take them to receive 50.1% majority stake in the company if they choose to do so. Right now, Douyu has 13 million monthly viewers, while Huya with 9 million monthly viewers. Those viewership numbers are abysmal, especially for a country the size of China with a player base the size of China. So it's just ridiculous money getting thrown around by Tencent, but I love you, Tencent, because I get to talk about these stories of hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, and you're the one who makes it happen. So thanks, Tencent. (laughs) Next up, Jam City acquires Brains. Um, Brains is a Colombian mobile developer. So Brains is pretty unique. They have an upcoming real-time strategy game called World War Doe. Um, It won Best of Show Audience Choice Award at Casual Connect 2017. What's crazy is after they won this award, they sold their company to Jam City. And why is that crazy? Because World War Doe hasn't even been released yet. So... It's kind of interesting you make an awesome game, you win an award, you get press coverage, and then you sell your company before you even release a game. The only thing I can think of is right now the CPIs, which is the cost per install. It's a mobile advertising term. Basically, how much does it cost to get a user advertising on mobile? The CPIs for strategy and war games, which is what World War Doe is, are insanely high. Um, you know, you're competing with Game of War, you're competing with um, Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, Mobile Strike, um, name any war strategy game on mobile. And maybe Brains was smart and was like, hey, we have this amazing game. We can't actually compete in this space because we can't spend enough on advertising to get enough users to make the game worth it. Jam City can. We'll sell to them. And, you know, whatever, 10% or 20% of a billion dollar game is better than 100% of nothing. That's my guess, but I could be wrong. 
Next up, Kixai, oh, Kixai. Kixai raises $20 million in funding for the machine learning platform. So Kixai is kind of a Facebook game company that never made the transition to mobile, never found success outside of Facebook games. They're known for their little snarky kind of, I guess, trailer for the company where they made fun of heads of other video game industry companies. And now they're in trouble. And why do I say they're in trouble? Because this is pretty much a nonsense headline. So to me, this is kickside scrambling for anything that can make them money and get enough money to keep the company operational. So Kixi claims the $20 million is for a machine learning platform that optimizes gameplay and monetization to solve quote unquote, one hit wonder problems. So this is done on a per player basis, basically altering all aspects of the mobile game, such as cells, progress, challenges, advancement, and so on and so on and so on. once again, I'd say this is pretty worthless. Kickside's real problem is they had Backyard Monsters and one other hit game back in Facebook days, and they never made the transition over. They can't get eyeballs on their games. They can't get people playing their games and retaining on their games. So even if they truly did have Watson or Google Hivemind um, working on their game, which they won't, they're going to spin up their own platform, and I'm sure their engineers aren't machine learning experts. Even if they had those two amazing machine learning platforms working on their games, this still doesn't solve their actual problem, which is delivering um, content compelling enough to get the users in the first place. So, sorry, Kixi, doesn't look good for you. Um, I guess you shouldn't talk so much shit back in the day. <laughs> Next up, uh, small story, Midwinter Entertainment forms. It comes from Halo and Farmville Vets. So this Kirkland, Washington studio has been in stealth development for a year. It supports a very experienced staff from 343 Industries and Zynga. And their first game, Scavenger, has been funded by Spatial OS and backed by Spatial OS's cloud technology. This game will be a cooperative survival shooter. And finally, PUBG acquires Mad Glory. And this is to bring mod and extension abilities to PUBG. Basically, Mad Glory is the one who opens up and leverages APIs and extensions so that esports leagues and esports broadcasters can more easily kind of show what's going on in the game for viewers at home. They've done this for Riot, Bethesda, Psionics, and other big name companies, and PUBG Corp just decided to, I guess, acquire them. So. Interesting enough. All right, let's get on the people news. It's very small. Got one people news of the week. Activision Blizzard has tapped NFL and NBA vets for an esports division. So let's run through the names. Daniel Cherry is now the CMO. Mark Colin has come on board as vice president of finance and strategy. And Brandon Snow has been tapped for chief revenue officer. So this is all in a new division under Activision Blizzard only focusing on the esports. Great to see them investing in that. Uh, I think Overwatch is probably still killing it in numbers, and I bet they're trying to figure out how to make the whole arena system work. So let's see what they can do. All right, one bad news story of the week. Sorry, guys, this is depressing. Half Brick, the studio behind Fruit Ninja, 
and Jetpack Joyride lays half its staff off. So it's been reported that the Australian mobile developer has laid off 30 employees and there's less than 30 employees remaining currently. So the layoffs are part of a new strategy. Previously, Halfbrick was trying to develop new IPs to replace or kind of uh, support Fruit Ninja and Jetpack Joyride. They've abandoned that, and their new strategy is just to reinforce those two brands, which means the layoffs were because they weren't making any money and couldn't deliver on a hit, which is really sad because that's what game studios have to do. And the fact that they're refocusing on those two games means that they're kind of just, you know, going to slowly whittle down the company as revenue drops and as brand awareness drops. So it's sad. They were one of the big leaders in the game industry for mobile games early on, especially Fruit Ninja. You can even play Fruit Ninja at like various arcades. Yeah, sad. But, uh, Hopefully, those people find new roles in Australia. All right. Finally, this week in my gaming, I promise you guys, no more Monster Hunter. And I deliver no more Monster Hunter. So this week, I bought a game I wanted to play for a long time called Limbo. It was the 2012, sorry, 2010 Indie Darling developed by Playdead. So it's a single-player platform puzzler. Basically, you only have a kind of an interact button and a jump button. And you go around and you solve various puzzles, but you die a lot. Every time you die, you basically go to the start of the puzzle. So it's a very kind of a physical platform world puzzle game. You can think you're going to be like uh, floating stuff on water, then jumping on the stuff you make float or moving platforms up and down or avoiding you know, arrows coming at you while you try to make it across something. So it's a pretty interesting game. Um, It won numerous awards, Game Developer Choice Awards for Best Visual, Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences for Outstanding Achievement in Sound and Adventure Game of the Year, and the Independent Games Festival Excellent in Visual Arts and Technical Excellence. So here are some reasons to look at Limbo. I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not make these like, this game was good, this game was bad. This game had pretty graphics. I'm going to try to give you give you reasons as a game developer to look into Limbo if you wanted to play it. So Limbo is pretty unique. It has, as far as I can tell, I'm an hour and a half in, little to no music and little to no ambient sounds. It's actually very deliberate with its sound. And so if you really want to see how sound can be used, you know, like, so let's say you play... I don't know, Star Wars Battlefront, and it's just blaring Star Wars soundtrack the entire time. There's a billion special special effects and sound effects going off at once. Limbo's the exact opposite. Sometimes there's almost no sound going on at all, and so it's very deliberate in its use of sound. The other interesting thing, it's muted and pretty much only sits on the gray spectrum of colors, so they have very like deliberate usage of white and kind of black and they hide a lot of things in the shadows, but not hide them too much that you feel cheated. It's pretty interesting. And along with that, they have great small detail, and these small details are visual cues to help you solve puzzles. So like maybe when somebody does something, dirt will splash up a certain way that will let you know that it's shaking the ground, which will let you know if they keep shaking the ground, something will fall. There are small visual cues in everything that try to help you solve puzzles. Um, 
It has great parallax scrolling for multiple foregrounds and background parallax scrolling. I love parallax scrolling, especially when um, the camera focus is just right. So you have all these different effects on like where your eyes should be looking based on camera focal points. And the game feels great when you get going and you get flowing. It kind of feels bad when you get stuck because you miss a small detail. You can be stuck on a puzzle for a while. It's very detail-oriented, and um, if you do miss some of those details, it can get frustrating, but it's a wide variety of puzzles. Some of them require platformer skills, whereas others require thinking. Some of them are timed in that you have to complete this little segment in a certain amount of time, whereas others are just kind of you just sitting there trying to piece together stuff. And uh, yeah, check out Limbo if you're really into puzzles or platformers or... You know, games that are very deliberate with color and sounds. So that's my week in gaming. And thank you for tuning in to This Week in Games. And I'm Eric McConnell. I'll see you guys later. Bye.